Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Good News in the Neighborhood podcast. This is coming to you from our new church in the northwest suburbs of Chicago. I'm Pastor Luke McDonald. I'm so glad that you joined us today. In this feed, you're going to find Sunday sermons from our new church. You'll also find Good News Weekly, which is a collection of content from me, my wife Kristen, Jay Griff, and a whole bunch of other members of our new church. We're so glad that you joined us today. It really helps, as you know, with podcasts, if you share, if you rate, if you leave a review, any of that good stuff helps get the word out. Without further ado, let's get to today's content. And listen, how's everybody doing? I am going to preach today, but to be honest, I just came out here to meet Teresa. Uh, I'm being completely honest. That's the only reason I'm here. Pastor Luke posts her on Instagram all the time, and I told my wife, I got to meet her. Like, this is, I'll be out of town. And so while I'm here, I'll be preaching, but I'm just here to meet Teresa. So is Teresa in here? She's incredible. Teresa, we love you. Can you show some love to Teresa? Um, hopefully it's okay. I'm a very, uh, known for being very transparent. Uh, so I'm going to say something really transparent. During worship, I was absolutely worshiping the Lord, but I kept looking up to see if this, the singer and the band were still white because <laughs> they sing with so much soul. I was like, Luke started going in and Tara, I'm like, and the band, these guys, this is real worship, y'all. Can you give it up for your worship team? The guy that was on the keys, he'd hit that chord, and he was like, I was like, only brothers do that. You can't. This is incredible. It's like, man, you guys are blessed. You you guys are really blessed. You know, not every church has this level of diversity and and moves back and forth between different cultures and and, and ethnicities. It's a beautiful thing, what you have here. And uh, when uh, Pastor Luke first told me about the church, um, I just was enamored at the name, Good News. Uh, it, it was just this thing where, uh, and he doesn't even know this, but as he named his church Good News, I, I was processing my whole life, uh, ever since I have got saved, that there's this piece of me that's been waiting for better news. Like, I've already had the best news in the world, and I'm waiting for better news. Some of us are like that, too, where we're waiting for an email or something had happened in our life, and we have this message called the good news, but we're tortured because we're waiting for better news. And I felt like the name of your church is so powerful, and I want to encourage you today, there is no better news than Jesus came, he lived, he died, and he was resurrected that we can have relationship with him. There is no better news. And so today I get the chance to preach, no pressure, Luke McDonald is one of my favorite uh, Bible teachers. So when Luke McDonald asks you to preach, that means you've made it as a communicator. That means that uh, you are awesome. And so no pressure, tough act to follow. But if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn to 1 Samuel verse 18, excuse me, chapter 18, verses 6 through 16. I've been yelling at my son's basketball game, so if you hear my voice is struggling a little bit, just bear with me. It is all good. This is a uh, one of my favorite passages of Scripture in the Bible. It's not super encouraging in the beginning, but I believe that God's going to speak to us. 
it's this story of a celebration. Anybody been a part of a big celebration? Uh, when my son was three years old, he had a hard time uh, celebrating other people's birthdays. Um, he would have a hard time watching other people get gifts. He would have a hard time picking gifts out for his friends. Like he would, we'd go to Target and he'd go get to pick the gift and he'd want to keep it. Or, or my son one time at his uh, cousin's birthday party bum-rushed the cake and blew out the candles for himself. He just couldn't handle that they were uh, singing a song, a birthday song for someone that wasn't him. And so really, we're talking about, this story picks up about two men that were partnered together. One was a king named Saul, one is David, and they were working together and they were on the battlefield together and they got this huge victory together and then they come back from this victory and that's where we're gonna read the story. It says, as they were coming home, when David returned from striking down the Philistine, this is Goliath, the women came out of all the cities of Israel singing and dancing to meet King Saul. So this was custom in, 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 in culture back then that when the king would come home from battle, all the women and the children would come out and celebrate the king. So the Bible says that this was happening and all these women came out and King Saul is like, come on, here we go. This is how it works. I'm the man. Come and celebrate the fact that I'm home. And it says, and the women sang to one another as they celebrated. Saul has struck down his thousands and David his ten thousands. So all of a sudden they're saying, wait a minute, David, he's better than Saul. He's killed more people than Saul. And verse 8 says, Saul was immediately angry, and this saying displeased him. They have ascribed to David ten thousands, and to me they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? And Saul kept his eyes on David from that day on. The next day a harmful spirit from God rushed upon Saul, and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. Saul had his spear in his hand, and Saul hurled the spear, for he thought, I will pin David to the wall, but David evaded him twice. Saul was afraid of David because the Lord was with him, but he had departed from Saul. So Saul removed him from his presence and made him a commander of a thousand, and he went out and came in before the people. And David had success with all his undertakings, for the Lord was with him. David had success, for the Lord was with him. And when Saul saw that he had great success, he stood in fearful awe, for him, awe of him. But all Israel and Judah loved David, for he went out and came in before them. That's not too much scripture for you, right? You following? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word. We thank you that you are awesome. Lord, help me preach today. Help me, this imperfect preacher, preach your perfect word. That's only you can do. In Jesus' name, amen. I want to share this thought simply titled, A Song for Someone Else. A Song for Someone Else. If you're like me or like my son, there's something in you that wants to be celebrated, that wants to be honored for what you do. I've come from L.A., and everybody wants to be creative, and they'll, they'll say things like, I feel called to music, and I'll be like, well, play music. What's wrong? And what they're really saying is not that I feel called to music, but I feel called that everyone would know 
that I'm called to music. Or I feel called to be an, an, an actor. Well, the YMCA is auditioning for baby Jesus, or go figure it out. No, no, you're not saying you feel called to be an actor. You're saying you feel called to be noticed. Some people could say, I feel called to preach. Then you look in that mirror and you encourage yourself in the Lord. We're not really saying we're called to preach. Sometimes we're saying, I feel called for people to know that I'm called to preach. I feel called to be noticed. I feel called to be celebrated. And if no one is celebrating what I'm doing, am I really called? If no one's paying attention to it. You ever done anything that no one cares about? Come on. And I need you to care about that I did this thing? Right? My wife tells me all the time. She goes, do you want to go and hang out at the beach and have a picnic? And I'll say, no. But I'll go because you want to go. She says, but I want you to want to go. I said, babe, there are a few things in life I actually want to do. Sports, chicken wings, everything else I do because I love you. <laughs> you know? She's like, I, I want you to want to go. It's like, I want you to want to do this. I want to feel like you want to celebrate. It's not just good enough that you're going to be there. You got to want to be there. You got to be excited. And if we're not careful, we do everything in life to be celebrated, to be honored. This is a passage of scripture that is scary to me because the Bible would suggest that Saul loved David before people celebrated David more than him. I'm telling you right now, David's jealousy was, excuse me, Saul's jealousy was aroused because he couldn't handle the fact that they were singing a song about someone else. You ever seen like a friend of yours at a, a, a concert and they're just losing their mind? They know every word by heart. <laughs> like, just Taylor Swift concert. And you're like, Tyrone, how do you know Taylor Swift? And they're singing every word. But in, 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 in church, it's like they don't worship and they don't sing along. And I feel like in my life, when I've had trouble worshiping, it's like I can't handle that this is a song about somebody else. And it's more difficult for me to connect when it's not about me. Anybody else? Or can I just, am I the only one being honest? And so David, the Bible says, was enraged. What we're seeing here is a difference between two words that we're going to talk about today. Uh, zealousy with a Z and jealousy with a J. Zealousy with a Z and jealousy with a J. I believe that someone here today is going to get their passion renewed. Because we show up to places and we've lost our passion. The pandemic stole my passion. Everything I did was out of obligation. And God's been telling me it's time to get our passion back. And one of the counterfeit ways to get your passion back is not zealousy, which is a God-inspired passion. It's jealousy where you see what someone else has and you now realize you have less than that and it inspires you to have more. That can create a passion, but it is a very negative Passion. Anybody ever tell their wife, well, such and such wife does this. Such and such husband goes here. And we start to want it because we see that someone else has it. 
And these two words for jealousy and zealousy are very similar. The one that Saul felt was a jealous rage. A jealous rage. Something inspired by something he saw. We can go on Instagram and we can, you know, go on Facebook and we could see that someone else is living a better life. In L.A., I don't know what the housing prices are here, but I was walking down this street right now and I'm like, oh, man, I, I did it naturally. Man, a house like that in L.A. is $3 million. I don't know how much these houses are right here. Uh, what was the average house on this street? Three or 400 grand. I will... <laughs> I'm about to go into a jealous rage right now. <laughs> My wife and I bought a condo in the pandemic, and we got a deal for 600 grand. And my house is so small, the other day I walked in the front, tripped out the back. True story. <laughs> it's, and you, did you see that white picket fence out there? And I'm like, I want that. I was walking in the church. I went to the Starbucks and walked down here, and my mind went, somebody else has that, and I don't. Man, L.A. is tough. And if we're not careful, God will, 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 will give us a passion, and the enemy wants to give us a, a, a different passion that's motivated by comparison and jealousy. And you know what? It feels the exact same. The, the Hebrew word for, for jealous rage is K-A-N-A, Kana. The zealous passion just adds an N. K-A-N-N-A. They feel exactly the same. You could be working hard and striving hard, completely motivated by the fact that someone else is doing it. I want you to understand this. My life has been filled sometimes with the wrong passion. Where I see something someone else has, and I'm like, I want that. You know, they say, always the bridesmaid, never the bride. You could be sitting at a wedding. Some of us have been to a wedding recently, and we're not married, and we're sitting there, and, like, you really want to throw that elbow to catch the bouquet because it shouldn't it be my turn? How many weddings have I been to, and, and it's not mine yet, and we could... Literally, instead of saying, God, is it your will for me to be married right now? We could literally be driven by the fact that we've just been to a lot of weddings and, and none of them are ours. And we can't handle a song for someone else. This is what happened to Saul. And I believe if we would understand the difference between zealousy and jealousy, God is going to absolutely go crazy in the next two years in your lives, in this church, He's going to go crazy. I'm telling you. I'm telling you. You could go ahead and clap. Hey, just quick, quick note. Just as if someone claps, just clap with them. Just, just help them out. Don't, because when somebody starts clapping and you don't help, notice it's like three and they get quieter. It's just like, oh, shoot, no one's clapping. So just help. Hey, somebody starts to clap, just help them clap. Let me give you the, the biblical definition for zeal. Because I'm believing that there's going to be a, a passion that is so God-inspired in this place, it'll spill into everything that you do. God's zeal is a burning desire to keep possession of what belongs to him. I'm going to say that again. God's zeal is a burning desire to keep possession of what belongs to him. Why is this important? There was one celebrity one time that said that she could never follow a God that, because 
the Bible said God was jealous. And she didn't realize that. She was thinking about the English word of jealousy. But the biblical word is that we belong to God. And if we're not careful, we get more into what we do for God than the fact that we belong to him. You know, I have a pair of Air Jordans. I'm a huge Michael Jordan fan. And, and my pair of Air Jordans cost $200. But do you know there's a pair of Air Jordans that sold for $1.4 million? $1.4 million. What is the difference between my Jordans and those Jordans? Who would they belong to? And who they belong to increase the value immediately, even right before that. It's the same shoe. You put them next to each other, they're the same shoe. But because they belong to Michael Jordan, the value increased immediately. It's the same shoe. You could be the same person, and the moment you put your faith in Jesus, the Bible says you belong to Jesus. When you put your faith in Jesus, you have immediately increased your value, and you don't have to be jealous for what other people have and try to increase your value through gaining worldly things. Who you belong to increases your value immediately. The Bible says that Jesus shed his blood for you. You don't even have to be a Christian. You don't even have to be a faith person. If I had a vial of Jesus' blood up here, and you could authenticate that it was real, and it was just his DNA, this would be priceless. Every collector in the world, even people who, who don't have a faith, would want this because it's valued. And the Bible says he got rid of all of that blood for you. So if that's valuable, how much more valuable are you? So, so when you put your faith in Jesus, it should mentally, emotionally, and spiritually increase your value. And so many people, if we get divorced or we come along, people have a way of just decreasing your value over time. And then you want people to give it back. People have decreased my value. Some, maybe the way our parents spoke to us, and you could never get it right. There's somebody in this room, you could never get it right, and you're pursuing the thing that would make you feel more valuable when it's actually belonging to Jesus that increases the value of humanity. Zeal is God's burning desire to keep possession of what belongs to you. Why is this important? Because when you get a God-given passion, He's given you a passion for something that is already yours. When Jesus took uh, the, the, when Joshua took people to the promised land, what did God tell them? Go into the land I have given you. It was past tense. It was yours, but I don't, you don't have it, but it's yours. God wants to speak to you about what's already yours. And then when you believe that it's already yours, you can operate in a God-given zeal to pursue it, not to get it, but to do it God's way because you believe that it's yours. God is speaking something over the church, over your life, that is already yours. And if you believe that, you get a God-given passion, a zeal to take hold of what belongs to you. The opposite is jealousy where you want to take hold of what doesn't belong to you because someone else has it. Do you know how much this will change your life if you could just believe today? God said it. It's mine. My passion comes from wanting to take hold of what belongs to me. What belongs to you today because God said it does? 
and it's not in your possession. But God said it's yours and it belongs to you. You know this building, I believe, I love this building. I believe that God had this plan the whole time. I love the phrase, we started a church. Y'all did start a church. But God had this plan the whole time. This, this church belonged to Pastor Lou. This church belongs. He had a plan the whole time. And you being in here matters. You don't need to look outside to see what other people have. God will reveal to you in this place. He wants to reveal to you what he has for you specifically. And by the way, this isn't for young people. This is also for older people. The Bible says that when the spirit fell, that old people had dreams and young people had vision. That means that God was showing them what he wanted them to do. And when he shows you what he wants to do, he gives you a divine passion. But like Saul, if we're not careful, the moment someone starts singing a song about someone else, we get frustrated. Human jealousy, opposite of zeal, can be described when bitterness and passion mix. Oof. It creates a burning desire to gain possession of what doesn't belong to you. So, so many, many of the people in, in, in the, the Bible scholars would say that when it, it's almost when your passion is mixed with the fact that you're upset or frustrated or bitter that you don't have something. And God wants to turn that and take that and make it zeal, not jealousy. And then, this was what's crazy, is that eventually your jealousy turns to envy, which is a decay or a breakdown a decay or breakdown of something because of a strong desire that someone else has it. So when you're jealousy, something's decaying in you, something's breaking down. Saul's relationship broke down with David because he was, he was jealous and he had lost his zeal. This is something that the Bible talks about a lot, and, and I've been doing this journey to get rid of all jealousy in my life and to get my zeal back. My God-given passion for the things that belong to me. Proverbs 27 verse 4 says, anger is cruel and fury overwhelming. But who can stand before jealousy? Psalm 69, which is the opposite. Verse 8 says, 9 says, for zeal for your house has consumed me. God gave them a passion for his house. I believe that at Good News in the Neighborhood, that this, is go- this, this place is going to be marked by passion. And I want to ask you an honest question. Have you lost your passion? Is it still there? Passion in your marriage. Passion in, at, your, at your, what God's called you to. Passion for other people. It's so funny because sometimes if you're like me, we want, we want clarity. Anybody want clarity? Who's believing for clarity? Make some noise. God gives me less and less clarity. Where there's passion, clarity is a luxury, not a necessity. I'll give you an example. Does anybody remember the very first time they held their kids? Did someone walk in a room and give you a bunch of clarity on how you're going to raise that kid and what's going to happen? No, what, what you had is a divine passion and a divine love. 
and some reason, passion directs you. And the biggest thing that I feel people need who have lost their passion is clarity. They won't do anything without having the information. And we don't step out on faith. We don't believe God anymore. God, you got to give me all the answers because I, I don't have any passion. A person who has passion, clarity is a luxury, not a necessity. And I have found when God gives me back my passion, clarity is no longer a necessity. Abraham was told to go somewhere. And God was like, go. Abraham said, where? To the land I'll show you. Get up. Go. Like, wait, what? Yeah, get up. Go. Leave your family. Go. And the Bible says that Abraham had such a faith, he didn't need additional clarity. What if today we would just say, God, I need my passion back. I need my passion back. Because sometimes if we don't get our passion back, we're passionate for what other people have. Or we're passionate about what other people don't have. Oh, they don't have, they don't have the truth or they don't have this. And God says, no, 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 I want to give you your passion back. If you still have breath in your lungs, you can be a passionate body of believers. This city, this neighborhood, they've all lost their passion. Passion for life. L.A. has lost its passion. God's saying to Good News Neighborhood, I want to give you your passion back so that you can take hold of all that I have for you. Here's what's crazy about this story in the Bible. is The Bible says that in 1 Samuel 18, verse 8, that Saul was angry and displeased. They have ascribed to David ten thousands. And to me, they have ascribed thousands. And what more can he have but the kingdom? Do you notice something here? Do you know? And how much time about do I have, by the way? Wow. This is good church right here. Keep. <laughs> yeah. It's just like, I got to be to work tomorrow. Just keep going. Like. You notice he said that. What, what else is going to happen? He's going to get the kingdom? Wasn't David already told? That he was going to get the kingdom? The Bible says that Saul was raving in his house. You know that word rave is translated prophecy? So jealousy will actually open up your spirit to see what God is doing and not be happy about it. I wish it. He was so jealous, he got a prophecy about what God would do, and he hated it. Since they're going to give him the kingdom, David had already put oil on his head. He was already out there in the, in the field. Samuel had already put oil on David's head. Samuel already told David he was a king. How did Saul know? Je jealousy overcame him, and he saw what God was doing, and he couldn't handle it. You know, oftentimes, because we live in America, we don't like storms. We don't like storms. And so you want to really rile up somebody in L.A., just say, you know, that God is with you in the storm. That's like. If you, if you want to learn to preach in L.A., just say God's with you in the storm, and everybody goes crazy. It's amazing. Just shout breakthrough or God's with you in the storm, and everybody goes crazy. But there's this passage of Scripture in the Bible that says if you build your house on God's word, when the storm comes, your house will stand. And if you build your house on sand, when the storm comes, it will knock your house down. Out here, we don't want a snowstorm in Chicago and a windstorm. So... In our context, we go, that's a bad thing. But in this context, it was the Middle East, y'all. 
And God said he would prophesy to send two storms in Joel, the latter rain and the former rain. If it didn't storm in Israel, people died. It was called the drought. And it only rained twice a year, November and in spring. November would, would soften the ground so you could put your seed in it. And then the spring rains would, would, would water the ground that you put your seed in. And then right around now, the harvest would come. And so what I feel that scripture is really saying is that if you don't build your house on the word, it's not that you won't survive what the enemy's doing. You won't survive what God is doing. Because he's promising to send the rain and water your crops. And now you'll spend your season. This is what I'm trying to preach to you this morning, that, that if we don't build our house on what God says to be passionate about, then when God shows up and does what he does, our house won't survive it. Yes, your house might not survive a move of the enemy, but you got to build your house on the word to even survive a move of God. You ever seen a church that didn't survive a move of God? Because it's not built on the word. See? Yeah. And so Saul's fear and jealousy produced the prophecy that he was afraid of and could not engage in. This is why we have to make sure that our heart is emptied of the things that are not of God so that when God shows up and begins to speak, we can receive it with joy and gladness and say, Lord, that is for me. Does anybody want to hear from God about something that is for them? I know I do. And the Bible says the next day, the next day, Saul, harmful spirit from God came upon Saul and he raved within his house while David was playing the lyre as he did day by day. And Saul had his spear in his hand. And Saul hurled the spear for he thought, I will pin David to the wall. Now, now really quickly, this throwing of the spear was something that was cultural as well. So if your king was displeased with you, they would throw a spear at you. And if you could evade it, it means you were allowed to live, but you were no longer under, you couldn't be in their presence anymore. So you notice the scripture says David ducks the spear twice, and then Saul banishes him from his presence. That's how it went. If you were able to duck the spear, it meant that you were no longer under the authority of the person who threw this spear. Later in Ephesians, it tells us to avoid the fiery darts of the evil one. Though That word dart is translated spear. So when you duck and, and, and the enemy misses about the lies that he's trying to tell you about your life, your, your dreams, the vision he has for you, you are proving that you are no longer under the authority of the enemy. They're, they're using a military term that when you duck the fiery darts of the enemy, that means you're not under the authority of the enemy because you can see what he's trying to do and you move out of the way. And so now David was banished from Saul's presence because he ducked twice. He ducked twice. And, and, the, and the Bible says later that the spirit was removed from Saul and a bad spirit was in his place. So I want you to catch this. God removed the comforter, the Holy Spirit, from Saul, gave the comforter, the Holy Spirit, to David, gave Saul an evil spirit to cause discomfort, and then made David play the harp for Saul to bring comfort to his discomfort. After 
saw through the spirit of. If you are going to achieve the good things in life, I want you to write this down. You cannot play the part of a good king if you're not humble enough to play the heart for a bad king. When you have passion, God can put you in a situation that is dark and terrible and you shine. Isaiah 60 says, the glory of the Lord rises to shine upon you. But verse 2 says, and darkness covers the nations. What does that mean? If you've been to a, a, a jeweler before and you're buying a really nice diamond, uh, not the one that my wife got because I was broke when I bought my wife. But if you're going to buy a really nice diamond, the first thing that they do to show you the quality is they put a black piece of velvet behind it. Because you can't tell how good it is unless the backdrop is darkness. And so when God wants to move in good news in the neighborhood and let his light shine, he puts people who are called to something good against a black backdrop. And the enemy wants you to think that means God's not moving. No, he is holding you up against a dark situation, a dark backdrop, so that you can shine because your shining is evidence of God's goodness. It's, it's what he's doing my whole life. Lamps Plus went out of business. And one of the th reasons I went, feel like Lamps Plus went out of business is because they didn't put the lamps in darkness. I could never tell how bright one of the lamps were because they had outer lights on as well. And you would turn on the light and Lamps Plus and you're like, how bright is it? I can't tell. If they just shut all the lights off in the room, you would have been able to tell the quality of the lamp. But I would just go in there and look around and never buy a lamp because I couldn't tell how bright the lamp was shining because it was also light. So when God calls you to shine, he puts you in darkness. Comparison and jealousy is light and light. God, I see what the light is happening in their life, and I want to shine too. No, no, no. Passion is where I bring light to a situation. Like, like when you say your, do your, your job is dark, turn the light on. That's why God has sent you there. The good news brings a light. This will change your life if you believe this. Change your life. The Bible says this. This is how beautiful Jesus' passion is. How many kings in the Bible did God greatly bless? David, Solomon, just blessed. And David, God gave David the ability to duck a spear, meaning he wasn't under the authority of Saul. But in John 19, 34, when Jesus was on the cross, the Bible says, but one of the soldiers pierced Jesus' side with a spear. Jesus put himself under the authority of his enemy so that you could duck the spears in your life, so that you could avoid jealousy and so that you could have a passion that could only come from Jesus. If, if, if we get this thing right with passion, and I'm not talking about, like, excitement. You know, I'm not. I was a youth pastor, so we'd be like, yeah, come on. And, like, we were so tired, like, haven't slept in three days, and then go, yeah. I'm talking about God wants to give you a passion. A passion. Any NBA fans in the house? One of the things I've noticed in, in my chance, in my watching the NBA and, and, and being involved in some of these spaces, is the best basketball players are not the best basketball players. The best basketball players 
are the third and fourth and fifth best basketball players with more passion. It's not a skill level. It's a passion level. The best basketball players in the league, everybody knows this, usually have the least passion. The people with the highest skill have the least passion. And it is a person that has passion. I will not rest until I get this. I have a passion. I have a drive for it. This is what God wants to put in us all. But we got to be able to handle a a song for someone else. I want to invite the team to come up because this is something that I believe that the Lord would want me to, to, to communicate to you specifically. So pain is one of the biggest enemies of passion. Because we spend our whole life on the defensive to try to make sure that that never happens again. So let's say there's a financial issue and it caused you pain. It's almost like we work really hard to make sure that we'll never get to the place where we can't pay rent again. Instead of God wants to bless me. God wants to prosper me. I, I want to be generous. No, we're, we're, it's preventative, not prophetic. We're tr- trying to prevent a bad thing from happening instead of partnering with God for a good thing. There can be sometimes pain in a relationship where we just withdraw. But we don't engage with passion anymore because we don't want to be hurt. We'd rather not be helped than risk the chance of ever being hurt. But I believe if we would allow God to give us our passion back, not only could we handle when a song is being sang for someone else, But like David, the Bible says when Saul died, Saul did nothing but try to kill David his whole life. That's all Saul ever did was try to kill David. And and what do you think happened when Saul died? If that were me, I would have been like, yes, Saul's dead. This guy did nothing but give me problems. Or I would have thought about the, the time where our relationship fell apart. I would have been like, Yeah, you know what, Saul got what he deserved because I remember when they sang a song about me, Saul got jealous, and now look what happened to to Saul. But you know what David did because of his God-given passion for people and for God? The Bible says in 2 Samuel 1, verse 17, then David composed a funeral song for Saul and Jonathan, and he commanded that it be taught to the people of Judah. In Saul's funeral, David gave Saul the song he never had. Can you imagine what kind of God-given passion that you would have to have for someone to be jealous of you because you got the promotion and then you bless them with groceries and you give them the thing that they were jealous of because of your divine passion? David gave Saul the song that Saul never got and made everyone memorize it. So that means David's followers would have to be looking at David write this song, working really hard, strumming his guitar. Who are you writing a song for? Saul. Isn't that the same person who got jealous when they sang a song about you, and now you're going to make us sing a song about him? That, my friends, is divine passion. 
And if God could give you something like that, something like that, give you back what you lost. I feel like so strong. I want you to close your eyes. I want to pray for you. You lost something. And that thing you lost was God. And for some of you, you lost someone. There was a death or something. Or a breakup or a relationship or a divorce or an infidelity. And you lost a piece of you. And God says, I want to I get that back. I want to give it back to you. I want to give it back to you. I want to give you your passion back. We love to say church things like, the Lord told me to lay that down. No, I quit. You quit because you lost your passion. God's not telling you to lay it down. So just say, just say to yourself, give, give me my, my passion back. Let's be honest. When people ask us how we're doing, don't say blessed and highly favored. No, you're down. You're struggling. Lord, I need it back. I need it back. Thank you, Lord. Thank you, Lord. feel like the team is going to start singing and as you get your passion back express that passion in praise sing like you've never sang before I, you might not sing as good as everybody up here but well I know you don't but I'm saying like give, give, give the Lord your passion give the Lord your passion right now so I want you to begin to stand to your feet right now and as the team sings I want you to give the Lord all of your passion Give him everything you got in this moment and believe God that he's going to restore your passion. Thanks so much for joining us today. Hope you were blessed and encouraged. If you'd like to follow along with us more, you can find us on Instagram at Good News in the Neighborhood. You can find us on Facebook at the same name. You can find us at www.goodnewsintheneighborhood.org. If there's anything that we can do, pray for you, help you in any way, please find us at that website and leave a prayer request. We'd love to bless you. And uh, until we see you again next time, this is Good News. Good News.